0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. You are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, He makes his angels winds, his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, In the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those will inherit salvation.
1: Well, Judy, thank you very much. It would be very helpful to me if you keep that passage from Hebrews 1 uh, open. As uh, we begin, let me pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we've been singing tonight and uh, rejoicing in your words, delighting in your words. Uh, We pray now that you would help us to uh, put that expression of delight into practice as we consider your word and listen to you through your word and we pray that by your spirit you might bring us to respond rightly in jesus name to your glory amen it's uh, always a bit unnerving i think uh, overhearing people talking about you when they clearly don't mean you to overhear it happened to me a long time ago very distinctly I was uh, waiting outside an office, waiting to go in. I could hear the people inside talking about me, even more unnerving, I think, uh, when what they say isn't especially flattering. It happened uh, to me again uh, just a few weeks ago uh, in November, listening to Radio 4, uh, a program on sociology. You'd only have that on Radio 4, wouldn't you? program on sociology discussing a church in London, uh, very like this one, very much like this one. Uh, you may know you may have heard there's a sociologist at the University of Kent called Anna Stran who's written a study on this particular church in London that's a bizarre thing in itself isn't it that's slightly unner- unnerving to discover that you're you're kind of so strange so weird in the culture that people write sociological studies about you uh, but she was on the radio uh, talking about her work Uh, Now, I've read some of her books, read some of Anna Strand's book about that church, and it's actually, in many ways, quite good and interesting, but also on the radio, in the same discussion, there was another person, much less well-informed, and uh, she was asked by the presenter, what makes this strange group of Christians so distinctive? And she said, slightly dismissively, for these people, it's just Bible, 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 Words, words, word. And then she went on to say, they're fundamentalists. And fundamentalism is a modern movement. Fundamentalism only got going in the 20th century. Now, I wonder what you make of that. Uh, perhaps you've only been coming along here for uh, a few weeks to Christchurch. Uh, maybe this is your first time, I don't know. And uh, maybe some things you quite like quite like the fact that it's reasonably full and and lively here tonight Uh, but you're puzzled about all this focus on the bible sermons on the bible small group studies on the bible bible training and now you may well be alarmed to hear someone describe all of this kind of thing as fundamentalists i mean they're the bad guys right and you know, you might be concerned to hear that all this emphasis on the Bible is a relatively new thing in history. Uh, that's how some people are thinking about churches like that one in London and, and this one here in Fulwood. It's all a bit kind of unnerving. So, what have I got for you tonight? Let me see. Oh, yes, more Bible. Although, uh, Perhaps a little different this time. Tonight, we're starting, as we've been saying, a short sermon series on the Bible. On the Bible, from the Bible. And uh, as we've been saying already, part of the reason behind this is because 2017 is the 500th anniversary of the start of the the Reformation, that time in European history when many Christians rediscovered some of the central truths of Christianity that had been lost or marginalized uh, since its earliest days. They rediscovered, as we've been hearing, the priority of God's grace. They rediscovered the centrality of Jesus Christ in all things, especially in our salvation. And they also rediscovered the authority of the Bible, the scriptures. So we've got grace alone, Christ alone. Uh, Faith alone is amongst there too, for the glory of God alone, and our focus in this series, scripture alone. I hope we're going to see tonight that far from being a a kind of weird modern thing, uh, this taking the Bible seriously goes right back to the beginning. Not just 500 years back, all the way back to the earliest experience of the Christian church and beyond, in fact. And to rediscover this, uh, we're going to turn, where, where would you think? To the Bible itself, because the Bible's going to give us a window into that early church experience, and tonight we're turning to the new testament book of hebrews and i'd love us to leave tonight excited that when we engage with the bible we are engaging personally with god himself there are many many questions we might have about the bible is it true is it not full of contradictions did i not hear that somewhere hasn't it been disproved by science or history But the more fundamental question is, what is it? What is the Bible? And if we get the answer to that one straight, I think many other things will kind of fall into place and follow, and I think we'll see tonight that a big part of the answer to that question is, Scripture, the Bible, is God speaking. This is why we pay attention to it. It's why we take it seriously. And it's also the perspective on the Bible we find in the very first few verses of the book of Hebrews. I'm going to take you through that in two stages. First of all, first of all, from Hebrews, Scripture is God speaking through the prophets. Scripture is God speaking through the prophets. Look how the writer of Hebrews begins. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. In the past... God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. God spoke. I mean, that in itself is pretty amazing, isn't it? The God who made the universe by speaking. The God who made the universe is not silent when it comes to us, as many assume him to be. He does have something special to say to us, not just to anyone to whom is he been speaking look at the verse again the writer says to our forefathers to the people he rescued and and gathered for himself to be his people the family and nation of Israel how did he speak to them did he speak to each one of them directly and individually no did he speak to them through nature say well Yes, but only in a very general sense, as he does for everyone. How then did he speak to this people he loved and called his own? Verse one again, through the prophets, uh, many times and in various ways. He spoke through special representatives at different times and situations across the history of the nation. People like Moses, people you'll have heard of like Moses, Samuel, Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, many, many others. And And what he spoke to them they spoke to the people of their day. And what they spoke was written down, gathered together so that it could be heard more widely and also by later generations of the people, written and gathered into the Hebrew Scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament of the Bible. Now, let me give you just one example of how that worked: God speaking to his people through the prophet Jeremiah Uh, It was uh, in what we would call today the 7th century BC uh, when the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and we read from the book of Jeremiah that the Lord spoke to him saying among other things now I have put my words into your mouth. I have put my words into your mouth. The Lord God of the universe speaks to his people by speaking through Jeremiah. Jeremiah in the language of the day, in the language the people could understand, in language that could be written down and then perhaps later translated so that we can hear and understand it too. So as we listen to him, as we read those scriptures, we are listening to God. Now, we discover later in the book of Jeremiah that this was not a comfortable role for him Uh, You see, the people had begun to hate their God. So not surprisingly, they took it out on his spokesperson. The words Jeremiah then had to pass on to them were not comfortable words. Uh, Later on, the Lord said to him, I will make my words in your mouth a fire and these people the wood it consumes. Uh, I think you'll agree, having a mouth full of fire does not sound a comfortable Experience gives you some idea, though, of the of the the power and intensity of God's word. I had a curry on the Mill Road in Cambridge in the summer of 1988. Uh, The memory is etched on my uh, experience is etched on my memory. Uh, I was with some friends, and we were all egging each other on to choose the hottest curry on the menu. And uh, you might say that we had some experience of what it is to suffer a mouthful of fire. and I can, I, It was very, very intense, I have to say. It's, I can remember that the natural morphine from the, from the pain that I was going through. But eventually, of course, the pain subsided. I imagine, though, that Jeremiah's experience was far worse. And it certainly had more far-reaching consequences. Now, what was true for the prophets and their words, we can also say is true for scriptures more generally. They have what we might call a a double authorship. Each piece of writing has a human author. It's written through the language of that author and the the language of the people around them. And and it's written with those authors' idiosyncrasies and character. It's written at a particular time, in a particular historical setting, all of which is very important to, to take account as we read the scriptures. But even more important is to remember the divine author who lies behind those words, speaking through them. Listen to them, and we are listening to him. Their words carry his authority. Now, what does that mean? What does it actually mean when I say that God has authority and that his words carry Authority and what does it imply about how we should respond to those words? Well, think about it uh, like this. I think one way of thinking about it, we'll author- authority is to think of it that it has two parts, two essential parts to it. First, there's power. We were seeing about this earlier. The power of God's word. There's power. The power to do and change things. The power to make good on promises or act on warnings. And then secondly there's the, the right to exercise that power. And both those things are necessary for people to have true authority. If one of them's missing, that's going to limit how we respond to what someone says. Let me give you a couple of examples of occasions where one of those might be missing. For example, remember that the bully who uh, uh, the bully at school using words to threaten you Words to deprive you of your packed lunch or pocket money. The bully has power, but he has no right to exercise it. There might be painful consequences from resisting their words, but you'd be in the right to do so, to not respond. Or will take another example. Consider an elected president or a prime minister with the right to exercise power. Maybe they've got a mandate from the electorate but no power to exercise it. They've become a lame duck politician for some reason. Maybe not enough seats in parliament or a divided party or cabinet. Even if you like what they say, there's not a lot of point in listening because they can't really do anything about it. Nothing's going to change. Their words have become empty. In those two examples, neither the bully nor the politician has true authority. We can ignore Or resist what they say. It might be right to do so. But not so with God's authority. God does have authority. He has both the absolute power and the absolute right to exercise it. He is the creator, the king of kings and lord of lords, the judge of all the earth. It would not be right to resist or ignore what he says. It would also be stunningly foolish to resist or ignore what he says because what he says and our response to it carries real consequences. But I would hazard a guess that our biggest danger is probably not so much resisting or ignoring what God says through the scriptures entirely. Just our bigger temptation is really kind of just sidelining it, marginalizing it, treating it like one voice among many and in fact sadly this has become a mainstream attitude in christian circles in the uk today including right now in the church of england so people will say effectively things like this yes we will listen to what you have to say lord we will listen but we'll also listen to this other voice and this one and this one And, you know, if we kind of feel moved or persuaded or compelled by these other voices, well, I'm sure you'll understand if we just put what you say to one side. I hope you can see that's, in many ways, just as offensive, just as arrogant, just as foolish as resisting him or ignoring him altogether. So then... First point, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1. In the past, God spoke through the prophets. He placed his words in their mouths. Those words expressed his authority. And through those words written down, he continues to speak. And as we read on, we can certainly see that that's how the writer of Hebrews understood it. Because in there, a whole load of Old Testament quotations, quotations from the scriptures. They go on in chapter 1, then on and on in the chapters that follow. Take a look at verse 8 of our passage, for example, which introduces one of those quotations from the Old Testament. It's from Psalm 45, in fact. Now, if you turn back in your Old Testament to Psalm 45, you'd see at the top that it's one of the Psalms written by the sons of Korah. Uh, it's, it's interesting isn't it so this is how it works That's that, this is that double authorship going on again in the past God spoke through the prophets the people like the sons of Korah and it was written down but what he said then he continues to say today it's very striking isn't it verse 8 but about the son he says God says same in verses 6 and 7 the, sp- the scriptures are God speaking now it continues on and on Through the book of Hebrews, God says, God says, the Holy Spirit says. And you'll see very, very sharply and explicitly verse eight. Who is he speaking about? Who is he speaking about? Verse eight. He's speaking about the son. This takes us to our second point. Scripture is God speaking about his son it's all about his son and we read again from hebrews chapter one in the past god spoke to our forefathers through the prophets many times in various ways but in these last days that is now he has spoken to us by his son god has spoken through the prophets Through all those years, all that history, he's been speaking to his people, engaging with them, expressing and revealing his character. It It has, we'd have to say, been a pretty difficult relationship, to say the least. How can he reveal himself fully, we might think, to such sinful people? How can he make the relationship work? What can change? Well, this is where the sun comes in. In fact, everything God said through the prophets was pointing in this direction to Him. And now, in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. You see, verse 2 the Son is the heir of all things. In the future, all things, everything will be His. Know the Son, and you can be part of that future. You'll know the One who made the universe. Well, verse three, if you know him, then you will know God because he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. We might wonder how can people like you and me come to know God so closely and intimately? How can we do that when the the people of the Old Testament struggle to do that? When we are just, how can we do that when we are just as sinful, just as weak as they were? Well, verse three again, He has provided purification for sins. He has done that. It's finished. That's the good news of the New Testament. And having done it, you see here, he he sits down. He takes his rightful place, sitting at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. How can we get to know this God? How can we truly engage and listen to him? Well, because of the Son. Forty miles southwest of Las Vegas, in the United States, is the Ivanpah Solar Power Project. It's an extraordinary thing. If you look at it, pictures of it on the web. It's six square miles of mirrors in the desert, 170,000 of them. Extraordinary place. Each each of those mirrors, every day, tracks the sun and directs the rays of the sun onto giant power towers to heat water to high temperature. Into high temperature steam for making electricity. That's a, that's a very good picture of what God is doing in the universe. A good picture of God's plan and purpose for the universe He created. All that light gathered together and then focused, focus into a, a a white hot focus. Everything there is, everything that's ever happened, everything that will happen, focused on one person, the sun the radiance of God's glory, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's how scripture works too. Everything pointing to him, every part working together, pointing to him, everything about him, everything focused on him and what he's done, providing purification for our sins. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, I suppose, listening to that, I might have given the impression that while the Old Testament people of God engage with him through the the words of the prophets, through the other Old Testament writers, and so then through through a text, we are to engage with him through a person, through the Son, through Jesus. And that's right. That is right. But the question is, how do we get to know this Jesus? How do we get to know the Son? How do we get to know the real Jesus rather than one of our own invention? How do we get the truth about who he is, about what he's done and why it matters? Well, think about what we've just been doing together. Think about what we've just been doing together. We've opened up the Bible. We've opened up the New Testament and we've read together the first few verses of the book of Hebrews And what have we done? We have encountered the sun, the white hot radiance of God's glory. So yes, it's true. We engage with God through a person, through Jesus. For the Bible is God's means for us to get to know him. And just as he chose prophets and others to speak through in the past, and those words were written down as the Old Testament. So with the New Testament, Jesus chose companions, eyewitnesses of his life, death, and resurrection and promised that his spirit would guarantee and authenticate their testimony written down for us then in the New Testament. And there is no other way authenticated by God himself for us to truly get to know Jesus. John, one of, the eye, one of those eyewitnesses, says this about his own testimony. He could just as well have said this about the Bible, any part of the Bible or the Bible as a whole. These are written, he says, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Uh, And we'll be thinking much more about that uh, next week. So this book, this book, the Bible, is more than enough for someone to know Jesus, know his purification for sins and hence know intimately closely in a close relationship god this book is sufficient for people to come to do that even on their own in fact it's quite remarkable a few years ago i met someone uh he's called neil uh, for whom that happens entirely on his own he was a grad student doing a phd on some obscure english poet uh, but the obscure English poet had lots of allusions to the Bible and he realized he didn't really know much, very much about the Bible so he went down to the shop and bought a Bible and started to read cover to cover. And uh, remarkably, when he got to here, you know, he's very persistent so he got all the way through. When he got to the book of Hebrews, which is quite near the end, you can see, he met Jesus. He met the Son personally. It's more accurate, it would say Jesus met him but either way, it's remarkable, isn't it? He got to know the son is possible even on your own with the scriptures. Much easier though we'd have to say to do it with others. That's why we gather together to look at the scriptures. One of the reasons we gather together like this, look at the scriptures together. That's why we meet in small groups together to study the word. It's what our Christianity explored courses are all about. In part, they do give you an, uh, an opportunity to ask all those questions about the Bible I mentioned at the start, things that might be puzzling you about the Bible. And There's loads of time in those sessions to discuss the answers at length. But more importantly, those sessions are an opportunity to open up the Bible and read the Bible together with others. One of the gospel accounts of Jesus, because we're convinced that that's where you can find and meet and encounter Jesus himself. So if that sounds good to you and you've not done that before, Uh, Why not sign up for that tonight? Why not make sure that you don't go home without signing up for one of those courses? Scripture, the Bible, is God speaking. Scripture is God speaking through the prophets. Scripture is God speaking about his son. This, this book, is the means he has kindly given us so that we can know him. These words spoken by him Guaranteed by him. Now, as we finish, I wonder if you find that a mildly disappointing conclusion. Perhaps you were hoping for something uh, a little deeper uh, or more mystical. Books, words, reading, done that before. Seems so ordinary, doesn't it? But it really shouldn't surprise us that God expects us to know him through his words. After all, we relate to one another with words by speaking to one another. that wasn't true, people wouldn't be quite so obsessed with their mobile phones and they wouldn't ever use them to speak to other people. How many people do you call up and just commune in the silence? You can get arrested for that kind of thing. Words are useful. More than that, words are central to the way that we relate as people, words are more than just things. Uh, in fact, much more like people than things. Words are not people, of course, but they're always fundamentally related to people and find their meaning from that. They only have meaning because they come from people, and not just merely cold, hard conveyors of information. They're, if you like, touchy-feely. They're relational. Now, I know you could uh, pick holes in that, because uh, some people especially men, I think, seem to get by without many words at all. You know, just the occasional grunt. Uh, Male teenagers, for example, seem to get by for years like that. You know, some things just can't be communicated without words. Things like promises can't be communicated without words. Silence and grunting falls short of real relationship and commitment. So my wife tells me. We can't deny it in the end can we words are the center of our relationships and so we should expect words to have some central role to play in our relationship with God to encounter my words as you are doing now is in many ways to encounter me similarly to encounter God's words is to encounter God Now, all that's pretty much common sense, I think, from our experience of words. We relate to one another with words by speaking to one another. Shouldn't we expect something similar when God relates to us? So coming back to the Bible, we do need to insist that when when God works, we talk about God working through the Bible. We need to insist he's doing much more than just telling us about things. He's engaging with us. He's calling us, calling us to, us to him through Jesus. He's promising us, promising us things. Uh, he's warning us about other things. He's speaking to correct or rebuke or explain or instruct. God's word, the Bible, is about engagement and relationship, transformation. So it's not so much that I believe in the Bible The power and authority of the Bible, the truth of the Bible, the beauty of the Bible. Now, I do believe those things, but and that's right, so far as it goes, but not quite the whole picture. More fundamentally, I believe in God. I believe in the power and authority of God, the truth of God. The beauty of God we find in his son, who is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his being. And then, following and flowing from that, I believe in the power of God to speak through the Bible with authority. I believe that if the Bible is God speaking, then what I find in the Bible will be true and trustworthy because he is true and trustworthy. So, you know, I understand what people mean when they say, you know, the Bible says this or the Bible says that. Now, you might know there's a whole commentary series called The Bible Speaks Today. And it's true, in the scriptures itself, we find, sometimes find the expression, this is what the scriptures say. But it's always helpful to remember the bigger picture. The Bible doesn't say anything on its own. Rather, God says them. Through the Bible. God speaks today through the Bible. And that's helpful because we can automatically see that taking the Bible seriously is taking God seriously, it's taking the Lord Jesus Christ seriously. And that way you can automatically see God's authority behind the words of the scriptures. And also, very importantly, we can automatically see the relationship. God, God, is speaking to us. Bible, Bible, Bible. Word, word, words. Here we are, these funny people in full words, taking the Bible seriously. Well, I hope we've been reminded tonight that yes, it's true. taking the Bible seriously, for sure, it doesn't make us Christians. It doesn't make you a Christian. The Pharisees took the Bible seriously, didn't make them Christian. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can do that. It's absolutely true. But I think we can also say that taking the Bible seriously will be the mark of a consistent Christian. And indeed, it's been the mark of consistent Christianity right from the very beginning. And it will always be the mark of Christians securing their faith and growing in their relationship with their God. I don't know if you're a fan of the, the Babylon Bee, the uh, satirical Christian news website. I know that some people find it goes uh, a little too far sometimes. Um, but there was, some very good head, there was a very good headline just a, a couple of days ago that went like this. Local man's Bible excited to be read for the whole first week of January again. The leather-bound Bible owned by local man Kurt Ryder for over 10 years reported Sunday that it was super pumped to participate in Ryder's resolution to read his Bible every day until he inevitably shelves it in the latter half of the first week of January, sources confirmed. It is such an honour to open my sacred pages to Ryder so he can get through around a quarter of Genesis before abandoning his attempt to read through me, the Bible said in a statement. Our time together is precious. I wait, I wait almost 12 months a week uh, uh, for this week, every year. I guess if uh, reading the Bible were merely a duty, uh, it wouldn't be surprising if, if we found it reading it unrewarding. If the Bible were just another book, uh, a sort of obscure, old, foreign, obsolete book, wouldn't be at all surprising if we found It's hard to commit to reading it every day beyond this, the first week of January. It'd be really hard to keep coming every week on a Sunday and and listening to the Bible being read and and then preached. It'd be very hard to go to small group Bible studies. But if we truly understand that the Bible is God speaking, well, I think that would make us wake up, wouldn't it? It would make us listen a bit more closely if we could get that in our heads it would make us pay attention pay close attention to what's being said and it would also help us to be feel kind of rightly secure and happy about being bible people people of the word that is in the end properly understood a very good identity to have well let's pray together Heavenly Father, as I think of uh, all the people gathered here tonight, I I imagine there are all sorts of questions that uh, might be being asked uh, of the scriptures and about the Bible. But through all of those, we pray that you would show us through these pages, through this word, we show us your son. Lord, we would see Jesus in your words. We pray that our our attitudes, our mindset, our approach to the scriptures would change. That we would delight. Delight in turning to these pages so that we can hear uh, the precious sound of you speaking to us. Pray for that, that in this coming year. Pray that that would shape us as a church family. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.